Welcome to Beer Me. I am your host, Sarah Jane. Every week, I will have a different guest on the show to discuss different parts of the beer world. From brewers, importers, educators, this will allow us to examine the dynamic world of beer through different lenses. Whether you're new to beer or a seasoned professional, we will have something for you. So I'm very excited for our guest today. Uh, we have John Winter. He is the president and founder of Lone Tree Brewing Company. Uh, it was open in Colorado, kind of the southern part of the metro area in Denver uh, in 2011. They celebrated their 10-year anniversary recently in November 2021. And John, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show. Oh, I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. So I'm congratulating you on a couple of fronts here. Firstly, congratulations uh, a little bit late, but on your anniversary, 10 years is a, is a huge deal. It flew by. I'm, I was surprised all of a sudden, uh, you know, we were just coming up near the end of the year and began the discussions of what we would want to do for our 10 year anniversary. And uh, it actually was somewhat surprising. You know, you get down in the trenches day to day and you forget how fast time's flying by. And I mean, you all had some pretty impressive growth over the years. You started off as kind of a neighborhood, you know, kind of place. And now you're one of the largest breweries in the state of Colorado. We are. We started in December of 2011. We were actually the 115th brewery in the state of Colorado at that time. And we were the last one to to the best of my knowledge, to open in 2011. And we're probably about the 35th largest brewery in Colorado right now. So we've grown quite a bit. The last three years, obviously, with COVID and everything, or two and a half years, has been a little tough. But we're actually up year over year again this year. So that's I consider that a little bit of a rebound. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, that's no that is no small thing. Uh, to make it that many years and to have that much sustained growth. And just listeners, just to give you an idea, you know, to be the 35th largest uh, brewery in Colorado, there are what, probably 450 breweries in Colorado right now? I would think so. I keep seeing there are more openings. So I know the last count was just over 400. So I wouldn't be surprised. It's hard. I, I don't have enough fingers and toes to count that high. So <laughs> there's quite a few. Yeah, and I feel like every time you you know you turn around, you have another brewery opening. Uh, so over these past ten years, what are I mean? I know you said this was a blur, but what are some lessons that you've taken away from this experience so far? You know, I think for me, which has really been quite rewarding, is to have a community based breweries. You know, a lot of people talk about that, but we are intricately involved with our community and what they do. Our customers are very loyal. And additionally, I would say take care of your employees. You know, we're a relatively modestly sized brewery, but we have a 401k plan. We have health insurance. We have paid time off. Um, and that was something that was really important to us uh, in the leadership team. I didn't do this exclusively. I had a lot of good managers through the years that helped pave the way to where we are today and a lot of great employees. Yeah, during the Craft Brewers Conference this year, 
they, you know, during one of the general sessions, they talked about how, you know, we've reached a point within craft beer where there is a market saturation. You have so many options. There's so many breweries that are opening up. It's not enough just to have good beer and to create a great experience. You really have to do something that stands out. Um, and you really have to find a niche and kind of go after that. Uh, and they did talk about um, involvement in your community and making a real connection to the community. And that was something that a lot of breweries took away during COVID. Uh, so that being said, what are some things that you did to connect with your community? Because clearly you have a very loyal base. I think a lot of it is, you know, there's always farmers markets, but I think some of the the festivities that we have here, our Hop Zombie Day, uh, we have several markets throughout the year that we, you know, provide an opportunity for local vendors to sell their wares, but bring people in to sell beer at the same time. We have our charity program where, you know, the first time I we created a charity and decided to give back to our world, so to speak. We, you know, like many do probably to Red Cross or something of that nature. And they said, oh, we'll just play by credit card. No, we're not going to come take your money. We're not going to do this. And we really changed things here at Lone Tree where we decided that, you know, we wanted to find local charities that 99 cents on the dollar went to our community in helping the causes that were important to the people in and around Lone Tree. So we changed that as well. We also do fun runs. We have brewery boot camp where people come in to participate in being healthy, but then having a beer following. I mean, beer is a great recovery for after running. You've got carbs, yeah, exactly. you've got protein, you know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I think it's it's been well received and there's something that we do, uh, you know, pretty much all the time. We have different events going forth. No, and, and in looking, researching for the show, I was looking at your website and, you know, all your upcoming events and all your archived events. I mean, you just, you just keep scrolling. Like it's just, yeah. <laughs> it's nonstop. Yeah. Um, and you had mentioned, uh, one of the first things you had mentioned was your hop zombie event. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about, this is like a cult following event that, that you all have done over the years, but can you tell them a little bit about what that is if they don't, they've never heard of it? It kind of surprised us. Uh, the first year back in, I believe, I want to say 12, I think we made the hop zombie and it, you know, we just released it and, we happened to, we were very fortunate in the time frame. It was right near uh, uh, Halloween. And so the ghouliness of the hop zombie and the zombie and all the rest of the stuff seemed to work with the holiday really well. And it was just, we thought it'd be one and done. And the next thing you know, we sold out, uh, we made a very small batch of beer at that time. And we sold out in one day. And we kind of went, Wow. And we were done by one o'clock or two o'clock in the afternoon. And we were open until 10 that evening. And so the next year we made a larger batch, sold out early again. The following year we did the same. And then we changed the date back in 2017. We brought it forward from the Halloween time frame up until 
I, I want to say it was right after our Oktoberfest. So we had, you know, an event followed by another event, which was the Hop Zombie. But we wanted to place it into the Great American Beer Festival. And we were for, very fortunate that beer won a silver for Red Imperial Ale. And after we won that medal, we moved it back over to Thanksgiving or Halloween once again. And it's been very successful. We sell out of the beer for the most part, sometimes we'll, we'll withhold a keg so that we can do kind of a, a graduation of uh, one beer, one year's beer versus another year's beer, and then the current beer. And But we can it, and it sells out, and it's our biggest day of the year. We've actually had people camp outside overnight so as to be the first people in there to get it. We, I think it, I want to say it was three years ago. We had some very unhappy people because we were out of cans by four o'clock and they wanted to buy a case of the beer and it was gone. And so we're, we've just been very, very fortunate. It's been, I can't believe how many people walk out with two, two cases of beer and take it home. And I I really want listeners to know that like, this is a really cool beer for a couple of reasons. I mean, first, you know, so you said this is, this is an Imperial red ale, but there's a lot that goes into this. You do a lot of hops. This isn't like a high yield, easy turnaround beer. Like this is a, this is a beer with a lot in that goes into it. Yeah, I'm not a brewer, but I know that the hops to barrel ratio is off the charts. And we, uh, yeah, it's <laughs> it's a big beer and it's delicious. I, I have to say I enjoy it every year when it comes out. Unfortunately, it's just one day. I can have maybe <laughs> two pints of it and then I'm done uh, because it's gone. Yeah, so. but you know, that's what that's what makes it special. But the other reason why I feel like this is a, a special beer is, you know, you launched this in 2012, and this is a really big, heavy, hoppy beer. And I feel like you kind of started to catch that kind of hop craze, like at the beginning of the wave. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like timing wise, there have been a couple instances where you all have kind of just been like just at the beginning of the trend. So, like, do you have some kind of trend wizard or something like that hiding oh, in your no, brew house? I wish. <laughs> no, I wish. Um, no, yeah, you I all. Think you you might, were, I've never looked at it from that perspective. But, but you all were doing, you, you know, fruited be beers. You were doing fruited beers, kind of at the beginning of that. You got ahead of the curve on the canning Mexican lagers. You know, there's a lot of things that you kind of, uh, you know, got ahead of uh, before anybody else, and you know. You call it dumb luck? I'm not sure. <laughs> I, you know, it was amazing with Mexican lager, and you may get into that later. But yeah, that was just a beer that our brewer, head brewer at the time had a recipe for, and the only reason we called it pretty much a Mexican lager is we put 400 pounds of flaked corn in a 20 barrel batch, and it gave it a little bit of sweetness. Um, we thought it tasted very similar to a Corona or something of that nature, and we entered it uh, just, and we were quite naive at the time. We entered it in American-style lager, and we got a silver for it in 15, and we were 
we lost a course banquet, but we were entered in a category where all the big boys play. We just, we won a medal. So we kept it in that category. And in 17, we were the first crap brewer in history to ever win gold in that category and beat the big guys. So we were just very, very, very fortunate. And that's huge. Hard to and, beat big guys. And, and for listeners, like when you say big guys, you're talking about, you know, A.B. Silver in 17. We lost to Coors in 15. It was all of the big, big uh, breweries. And, you know, it was it was uh, pretty surreal. We were just happy to have won a gold medal or any medal at the Great American Beer Festival. And I remember beginning the walk up towards the stage and seeing so many people applauding. You know, my fellow partner in this, Jerry Sciotti, he and I were walking up and we couldn't understand it. And it wasn't until we got back to our seats that a reporter came up and said, well, how do you guys feel? Oh, it's great to win a gold medal. He goes, no, do you understand what you've done? And we didn't know. And now there's so many great, great breweries making lagers. It's fabulous. And I just want to reiterate like how impressive that is in that you're going up against breweries who have millions and millions of dollars invested in creating brews that are incredibly consistent. They're put together in an incredibly scientific method. You know, to have a craft brewer who doesn't have millions and millions of dollars in research and development and, you know, quality and everything like that to go up against and, and beat that you know, kind of contender is, is, is what makes it so exciting. I think my partner phrased it the best way I've ever, ever heard this uh, represented. When we were talking to the press, he goes, this just shows you the versatility of the craft beer community where we can make a gold winning American style lager and at the same time, win a silver medal for a red imperial ale. And it's a very diverse group of people that have a broad reach across the spectrum of styles of beer. And it is just a it was a fabulous quote that I think that's what sets craft breweries apart is that diversity of being able to walk in and you're not going to have just lagers or just ales, you're, you're able to create everything. And we've always paid a lot of attention to quality control here. I, I appreciate uh, Jason Weedmeyer, who started out as our head brewer here. Um, he began that uh, kind of framework, and it's just carried on since then with Josh West and Dennis O'Hara and the people that have brewed for us. The biggest thing that we have is a quality product. And if we bend from that, I just don't believe we can continue to prosper here in Colorado or just in the craft beer community at large. Yeah. I mean, like we've said during the show, even, I mean, competition is very, very steep. So you have a kind of a core group of styles that you make. You have certain releases that you do throughout the year. Are there any new uh, styles or, or other styles that you have on the horizon that you're excited about? You know, the trend that you're going to kick off. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, yeah. Uh, I, I would say we're learning 
as we go. Um, we have a Jasmine uh, Colshawn right now. Jerry is very, very interested in using uh, rice in some of our beers, much like a Sapporo or something uh, from the Far East. So we this is probably our fourth generation of a rice uh, beer. And so we're con- kind of continuing to play with that just a little bit. And we'll see where it goes and what happens with it. I think this Jasmine Rice uh, or ja- Jasmine Kolsch is very light, very, very clean. It's brilliant in the glass. It's it's a very, very nice beer. And we've been getting more and more compliments about it. And you'll see, we'll see where we go with it. It's an interesting style that I don't think very many U.S. craft brewers are looking at right now. Yeah, but I will say a lot of craft brewers are looking at the low and no ABV space. Um, is that something that you all are looking at or playing around with? I know that no ABV beer is tough. I mean, a low ABV beer, I, are, are you talking like three and a half? Four percent. We already do several beers that are just under five percent, and we, as a um, how do I phrase this, a brewery, have always attempted to keep our beers modestly low in alcohol. I I just kind of feel I want our customers to have, buy three beers sometimes instead of one and done, and I want them to go home safely. It's very important to me, and I think I believe that you can have a very flavorful beer at five percent or four and a half percent. It doesn't have to be eight and a half percent. That's great for Hop Zombie; it's way up there in alcohol. But I like the flavor of beer, and I'd rather sit with my employees or customers and have two or three and drive home safely than to have one and done, or I can't have any more. That's not what I believe craft beer is all about. No. Oh, for sure. I am a big fan of, you know, being able to actually sit and enjoy an experience, especially if a brewery has put in a lot of thought to creating a great atmosphere. Um, You know, I love seeing people go to breweries and like whip out a board game or card game or something and just spend the afternoon, you know, playing games and drinking beer. You know, that's that's always really lovely to see. Um, but no, I was specifically asking if you were looking, cause I, I, you know, I've, I've seen that, that your beers tend to edge towards the lower ABV side of things, but are you all looking into like no ABV beers? You know, we have looked at a couple of pieces of equipment and kind of priced it out. Uh, right now, in a, about the time we began to look at this, the big guys were jumping into no alcohol beer and uh, coming out with new ones. It, it's hard to compete against them. So I think what we intend to do, instead of going down that road because of the expense and COVID and everything, we'd rather save kind of our pennies and look at the rice end of the market. And, you know, we might make something low ABV out of that. Yeah, no, for sure. And I think... Um, it's interesting. I saw, I saw a really great, uh, breakout session seminar during CBC uh, craft brewers conference about, uh, no ABV beers. And there's a lot of people kind of hopping on the trend without kind of doing their due, due diligence. And 
you know, the speaker, you know, one of the speakers on the panel was uh, Garrett Oliver of uh, Brooklyn, Brooklyn Beer, Brooklyn Brewery in, uh, in New York. And the points that he brought up are thing I think are things that maybe people weren't thinking about, you know, just how careful you really do need to be. Um, because at the end of the day, it becomes like a food safety issue, you know, and the, the kinds of pasteurization you have to look at the way things are stored, how much, you know, quality testing and things like that. it's a whole other, um, you know, barrel <laughs> that you have to deal with. Um, that I think if a brewery is kind of just hopping on the trend, it's, it's not something that's so easily done if you're going to do it carefully. And if you want it to taste as it should. I mean, there's a lot of variables that go in. I, I would say that's the biggest thing that I've, I guess, one of the things I, not the biggest, but one of the things I've learned in the last 10 years is I remember a friend of mine going, are you sure you want to go into distribution? <laughs> and it, when you open a door and you want to be very good at what you're producing, oftentimes there's other things that go along. You can't just throw it in a fermenter and go, oh, we made it a no ABV beer. Shelf longevity. What is it going to do? What's the reception of your customers? Uh, just everything. It, it just is amazing the amount of money that you wind up spending on research to ensure that the product is first class. No, for sure. Um, and you had mentioned distribution, and this is a point that I actually did want to bring up. Uh, so from what I understand, you all uh, distribute in Colorado and Kansas, and then that's it, correct? Correct. correct. What, I mean, you are a large brewery. You have a fantastically consistent product. What kind of led to that smaller distribution uh, inspiration? A customer? Yeah. <laughs> We, uh, we're with the Worldwide Beverage Group in Kansas, and uh, apparently there were three brothers involved in the business, and one of them came to Colorado to open a new distributorship here in Colorado. They primarily were doing spirits and wine at that time, and Trey would come in here fairly regularly and have beers, and one day he said, you know, I really want you to meet my brother in Kansas. Have you ever thought about this? And it was more, I guess, a connection with a family. And he was the customer, introduced us to his brother. Our head of sales and myself went out to Kansas. We liked them. And so we began to distribute to Kansas. And they've done a great job for us. They truly have. Um, not out there as frequently as I would like to be. And that's one thing. When you go out of state, it's real hard without a full-time sales rep to stay out there. But they've done a fabulous job in maintaining the momentum for us. We go out you know, probably four or five times a year. And uh, they've done a good job. But it was just just a fluke as to why we wound up in Kansas. And it was really because of the relationship that we had with a customer. And um, it was perfect. It was a great match and it's been a very good match for us. That's wonderful. I, and I was curious, what inspired you to not continue to expand into other states? I think we were worried about running out of beer with our distributor here in Colorado. And once again, we've learned over the years in Kansas that if you 
do that, then you need to hire a sales rep out there. You need somebody there full time. And without a large enough market, I think it's easier on the East Coast because the states are relatively more condensed and they're smaller and you could get one sales rep to reach three states and do something. And, you know, when you start to get out West, the size of Colorado, the size of Kansas, I mean, it's an all day trip to get from Denver to Kansas city. And I think that just takes a long, a lot of effort. I think there's, you've probably seen it over the years where, you know, breweries are always looking to grow. The, the price of the beer goes down. The economics work in your favor the larger you are. But to be honest, if you wind up going into five states thinking that you're going to jump on the bandwagon and you're going to wind up making a ton of shipping a ton of beer without a sales rep back there full time, usually you go in, first couple orders are great. And then things dwindle off. And how many breweries have you seen that have done that? And then they pull out of the state and they are right back to where they were. So it's real important for us to grow here in Colorado. It's our home. And we'll look at it as we continue to prosper and continue to grow. Mm-hmm. But it'll be an evolution. Nice. No, that all that all makes sense. And I have seen that, especially in Virginia, where a brewery will come in and then they'll go away for a little bit and then they come back. <laughs> And then, you know, you've got inconsistency with your consumer base and it, it's, you know, it's a whole thing. Well, John, as we draw towards the end of our show here, is there anything new and exciting on the horizon for Lone Tree Brewing or any last little piece of advice for anybody out there starting out their, their brewery afresh? Yeah, I would, I would probably say we're, for the very first time um, in our 10 years, beginning to look for a second location. But, you know, in this in this day and age, I mean, one of the things I, I was interviewed by another writer uh, for a publication not long ago, I, I think it's extremely difficult to find that location. And we're being very careful about where we go. We've never I, – I read an article years ago from a head brewer that for a very successful brewery down in Texas, and he said debt – kills small craft brewers. So we've been very, very careful to maintain profitability and put money in the bank. And I think moving forward, you have to be very careful about where you place a second location. I don't want to go in where there's already three or four breweries within a a mile circumference of where we're looking to go. I think, you know, you cannibalize everybody and the customers and it makes it very, very difficult. So we're being very uh, careful about where we we might want to go, what we want to do. But I think uh, you'll see that probably in the next year or so that we'll open a second location. Nice. Well, I will definitely uh, keep my eye out for it and uh, have to come check you out at some point when I'm back in uh, back in do. Denver. Thank you again. You got to come and root for the Colorado Avalanche. I got to throw that <laughs> in there. <laughs> well, thank you again for taking time to to talk on our show. For listeners out there in Colorado, definitely pick up some of their beer if you're in the Denver area or visiting. Go check out Lone Tree Brewing Company. Thank you all for joining us again on the show. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, please reach out at Beer Me Radio on Instagram or beermeradio at gmail.com. 
please go wherever you get your podcast, like, subscribe, give all the stars, leave all the comments. We look forward to hearing from you and we will catch you next time. Cheers. Cheers.